So guys, welcome back to the Sport Inspires podcast, our podcast recorded in collaboration with the Mary Peters Trust. Mary, lovely to see you again. It's been thank a long you. time. Made possible by the Coca-Cola Thank You Fund. And today's episode, we are with the wonderful Lauren born and bred legend that is Claire Taggart, who is the 2022 world champion of, help me out here, Boccia? Correct. Come on. Wow, that is impressive. That's Claire. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> You've slagged me so far doing my research. Boccia, we've just about done it. Everybody gets it wrong. What does everyone say? Uh, Bocci or uh, Bocca or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, yeah, it's just. If terrible. I was looking at it, I would have said Boccia. But I watched one of those wee YouTube pronunciation videos yeah. and it hopefully... Wow, was, you did do I was research. hoping that it would <laughs> save me. So Claire is the 2022 world champion of Boccia. She's the first person from Northern Ireland to ever compete at the Paralympics in the sport. And she's also the proud owner of six tortoises. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Are uh, you a collector of turtles, usually? Not turtles, tortoises. Tortoises! <sighs> that's that's an error already. That is, that is a research <laughs> blunder yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Certainly out for being so cocky about botcha. I know, yeah. but she has reptiles as well, I believe, have you? Yeah, I used to have some lizards, but unfortunately they died awkward. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, no, I have six tortoises um, and uh, they range in size from about this size to um, nearly a foot in length. So, yeah. So my, these are big operators? Yeah, yeah. My biggest I, tortoise is called Biffy um, <laughs> and he's nearly six kilograms. So. My goodness. Oh, because uh, I have a friend who's one who's over 100 years old, like he inherited it. Yeah. So you could have them for a while to feed. Yeah, mm. they're going to be in my will and probably my kids' will. Oh, my goodness. If I have kids. <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, I'm too old to inherit <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, at this rate, you can probably outlive me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Turtles, like, live in the water and out of the water, whereas tortoises live on the land. Okay. Um, so. What's the difference between bulls and boccia? Boccia's better. Um, <laughs> and bulls is played with, um, I think they're made of marble. The They're, like, ovally shaped balls. Um, but the irony is about this, um, before I continue your question, my cousin plays bowls for Ireland and I play boccia for Great Britain so like but there, there's no like our parents weren't really interested in like target ball sports like my, my dad our dads play golf um, but yeah this is all relatively new for both of us um, but yeah boccia is played with soft leather balls um, whereas bowls is the oval shaped boring game yeah. <laughs> actually I've played bowls and I've been quite good at it I've won some prizes but nobody knows about that well they do but, now <laughs> <laughs> but I'm delighted to, that lots of people know about you and your butcher oh. and because I was in Australia when you won your two world championships in 2022 I was really embarrassed when I met you and you were able to tell me that you had had such great success and I'm delighted for you Claire it's going from strength to strength when you went off to Rio mm -hmm. and you came back and I talked to you and I said to you what was it like and you said I was all right no, you were impressed by the number of people who were in their wheelchairs. Oh, yeah, no, like, so there was over 176 um, people competing at World Championships, which is, for our sport, typically every competition is, um, there would be, like, maybe 100 people. Um, but, like, I think 
Lady Mary's more talking about like the Paralympics and stuff like that. So it's it's an environment where you'll see all sorts of disabilities, um, people with um, amputations, um, people who use mobility aids and stuff like that. And it's a completely barrier free, barrier free environment. Um, and in in the idea of a Paralympics, it's like it's like we live in our own little world there, and there's no discrimination, and there's uh, everything is accessible at a Paralympics. Um, so yeah, um, it's the things you'll see at Paralympics will never uh, go away, and like it's a it's a real privilege uh, to be at Paralympics, for example, um, because not many people get that experience, as you will know from your Olympic experience. Not very many people get to do that. So yeah. And it wasn't really until 1960 that mm-hmm. really the games became uh, a sport with disability involved. And it's in more recent years, probably 2012, before it came became fully integrated. Yeah. And the Channel 4 covered it, you know, 24-7. Yeah. Whereas I remember the first time they showed half an hour of, yeah. of um, the Paralympics. And I went to Stoke Mandeville Hospital years ago where where disability sports started. And, you know, there would have been maybe two dozen athletes there. So it's wonderful that the sport has grown and the opportunities. And look how it's changed your life. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have seen anywhere around the world that I have without Boccia and without Paralympic sport. Um, And, yeah, it's just it's such a privilege and an opportunity that I never take for granted, I guess. Um, so yeah, and when I spoke to you, having come back from Australia and learning about you winning <laughs> these World Championships, I said, "Be any more competition this year?" And you rattled off half a dozen mm. countries that you're visiting in 2023. Yeah. Where are you going next? So I've just come back from Zagreb in Croatia. I'm going to Montreal on Saturday, um, and then I have a little bit of time at home before the European Championships in Rotterdam in August. Then I'm going to Sao Paulo in September and um, finishing off the year in Portugal. Um, so, yeah, uh, doing a bit of travelling so this year. <laughs> you're not staying at home very long? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, infrequently I'm home, um, but I'm, I'm away at least one week of every month. And if I'm away, then it means my dad's away as well because he goes as my carer. So Wonderful, awesome. wonderful. Talk to me about the hallway during lockdown. Oh, you you have done your research. It's the opposite of travelling around the world. Yeah, so, like, during lockdown, obviously, as someone with a severe physical disability, like, our entire squad, basically, we were seen as really clinically vulnerable. Um, if we had got COVID or anything like that, there could have been really serious con- con- consequences or potentially even death. So um, our world-class programme, based over in the mainland, um, got really creative about what we were doing just to make sure that we were still playing boccia. Um, because obviously the Paralympics was um, postponed until 2021, but we actually weren't training on courts until um, maybe March of that year. So I was just throwing balls in the house. The dog, my dog called Rio, would lift the balls and run away and try and chew them. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it was just a really strange and stressful time, but like we got through it and then obviously the Paralympics happened, so... Matt, did you like call your dog Rio before you knew you were going to the Paralympics in Brazil or? Um, yes. So I picked her two weeks before we flew out in 2016 um, when she was just a little nugget thing, um, a little <laughs> tiny creature. 
um, and I knew I wanted a border collie because they're so smart. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I didn't actually go to the homecoming event in Manchester and London because I was getting a dog and I'd rather have done that. <laughs> um, so uh, that's what I did instead. Have you been celebrating with Lawn football team since Friday night? Uh no comment. Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, so happy for you because she was on her phone while we were celebrating yeah. various people winning awards the other night. And uh, she's the Disability Access Officer for yeah. the Land Football Club. And I oh, had the nice. privilege of attending one evening with Claire, although she was too busy to spend the evening with me. <laughs> yeah. But I did get out onto the pitch and wish the team success. And um, I think you've done a wonderful job in opening up the club to people of all ages and, and abilities yeah and I hope it'll spread to other clubs yeah I think the thing about Lauren and me being brought on board I think it's really important that someone with a lived experience of disability was brought in um and I think like obviously we won the league yes. Yay. Um, <laughs> but we're we have so many great plans with the um the notoriety and stuff that comes with that um and really making our club as accessible and inclusive as possible for all people with uh, disabilities whether that be physical um intellectual uh, sensory um and i think that we just really want to push on and invite everybody to to be at Larne um because as we say um it's for the town um it's not just about football it's never just been about football um and it's about the town and the community um, and getting the spirit behind the, the obviously the first team, um, men's and women's. Um, but I think that there's so much good that can come from it. Um, yeah. Did you approach them or did they approach you? They approached it? me. That's even more important, isn't it? So yeah. they approached me um, in late 2018 um, to say that they, they needed someone um, as a disability access officer, but they didn't want it to just be a tick box exercise. Um, they wanted someone who would have a lived experience of disability, um, who was not necessarily known within the community, because at the time I was playing botcher, but not really getting anywhere. Um, but someone who could really enforce change. Um, and uh, yeah, I came on board. And now we're just kind of going from strength to strength. Um, obviously, when we eventually build the new stand, um, we have such great plans for it. But, yeah, it's it's all so exciting at Larne at the minute. Um, and their recent success will give an yeah. opportunity to develop the club even more. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, we have honestly, we have such great plans that, like, I'm so excited about them. Um, and just, like, for me, it's... I'm not really that much into football. I'll admit it now. Like, I'll go and watch the football and stuff like that. But I see the supporters who have physical disabilities or other disabilities who go to the football and how much enjoyment they get from it. Um, and that's what strives me and the general manager, Niall, to work so hard and make Lauren so accessible and inclusive. And, yeah, I'm just really pl proud to be a part of it all. Um, so, yeah. It's great. How did you get into your sport? Ironically, the guy that I'm just talking about, Niall, he used to work um, <clears throat> as a sports development officer in the local council, and he set up um, a botcher club. And initially I went along, um, and I found it quite boring. It wasn't a sport for me at the time. <laughs> at the yeah. time I was also playing wheelchair rugby. Um, so... Um, 
I enjoyed the fast and furious nature of that, I guess. Um, but my condition is progressive in that um, the muscles contract and get tighter and restrict my movement even more. Um, so wheelchair rugby was never going to be like a long-term prospect. Um, and it was only when I like kind of investigated Boccia and seen the pa- like saw the pathway of I could actually take this and go to a Paralympics, for example. Mm. Like some people say, where were you when London 2012 was happening? I didn't know that Boccia was a sport. I didn't I didn't know that it existed. Um, and to four years later to be competing at a Paralympics was mental in my mind. But. I hadn't heard of dystonia. Is mm-hmm. that how I pronounce yeah. it? Explain, explain to me what, it, what so, it, how it affects you. It's a neurological condition which basically causes um, abnormal posturing and muscle spasm um, and joint contracture. Um, I was diagnosed at 18 after a couple of years of stumbling um, and then basically my feet started to turn in but in my case the, the, the condition has been quite progressive and not necessarily fast, quite um, sustained. Um, like uh, obviously I used I was able, fully able-bodied until I was 16, 17 and um, started using a chair at 18 and um, basically my life kind of went in a different way than I probably would have envisioned it going. But I don't think even now, like 10 years later, I'm now 28, I don't think I would have changed anything. Um, so, yeah. It has helped you mentally, hasn't it? Yeah, being in sport? well, sport has like has given me a purpose. Um, and I know as somebody with a disability, travel is difficult. If you have a physical disability, if you have any disability, travel is difficult for able-bodied people, never mind people with a disability. And I don't enjoy travel, so flying, getting on planes, all that there, um, because it is a very... It can be a stressful experience because a lot of people don't actually know the process of someone who has an electric wheelchair, for example, getting on a plane, (laughs) where that chair goes. So my chair goes in the hold with all the luggage. Um, So you could be getting to... So, for example, we could fly to Brazil. That's just an example. And I could get there and my chair be broken. So there's a bad start to your trip already. We could get there and the chair be broken and we get to the hotel and some of us can't actually fit in the bathroom, for example. So, like, once we get to our location and everything's fine, so bathroom's fine, chair is fine, then I can relax and enjoy my sport. But I don't think... And I would say that for some some disabled people, especially in our sport, we wouldn't do the travel unless we had the sport that we enjoy so much. Mm. Like, the travel is just so much. Um, but, yeah, we do it just because we love playing sport. It's crazy the amount of resilience you need to even actually get to the arena before you even mm-hmm. do the actual competition. That's mad. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. I've travelled with somebody that's not an electric wheelchair but in a wheelchair and, yeah. and that was a nightmare. And getting to London and having to get into a taxi out of her wheelchair yeah. onto where everybody puts their dirty feet to get in, to sit there, to mm-hmm. be able to manipulate herself up onto the seat. And it took us hours to get to our destination and then the disabled loos were not accessible for her in the building that we went to. Where's the the maddest place you've been to then? Because if you think like, okay, you you mentioned like London there, 
like you've been to some pretty far away exotic mm-hmm. places that I imagine now maybe this is just me being high and mighty like are not as set up as some other places around the world um when we were obviously Paralympics is different because they make everything as accessible as possible um but where I won my world title in December was the Paralympic venue again and it worked perfectly but we're just back from a competition um, in Zagreb where there was one bathroom, one shower um, between 107 people oh. who were wheelchair users. Oh wow. So I'm pretty lucky in that I obviously travel with my dad, he can pick me up and set me, I have a little shower chair that goes on the back of my chair when we travel, um, he can set me on that. I was able to shower within the bathroom um, that of my hotel room. But for people who had maybe more complex disabilities or who couldn't sit on a standard stool, for example, um, one shower between over 100 people um, and the way that it was worked was a rota. Um, but I don't think you see that in a lot of other sports. Um, mm. Yeah. So. What's it like to go into an environment like a Paralympics where... Like all of a sudden, a lot of the friction that you face in your everyday life has been thought about. Like there's intentional design behind the chaos that is you operating through the world. Like what's yeah. it like to go into an environment like that? It is so settling. Mm-hmm. You are there to focus on your sport and that is all you're there to focus on. Everything, well, 99% of things have been thought of and if they're not thought of, you're consulted on them. Um, so like I work with the, British Paralympic Association I'm a member of their athlete commission and we're already talking about how we make obviously Paris being next year it's so close mm-hmm. that how do we make it as accessible as possible um, so that when people like me and my teammates who have a severe physical disability once we get there we don't have to worry about beds toilets xyz mm-hmm. we can just think about mm-hmm. how do we win medals how do how do we get to the medal stages and how do we enjoy the experience as well and I think for us there's a lot of credit also goes to our carers and our parents so I couldn't do this without my parents and my dad obviously travels with me so it's a lot of stress for him as well and when we go somewhere and we arrive maybe midnight or whatever time we arrive at and I can't even get in the door of a hotel room we've got to move all the beds about so that we can actually get to the right side so that he can lift me to transfer me into bed or if somebody uses a hoist are they lifting the bed up so that the hoist can go underneath it whereas at a Paralympics 99% of things are thought of and I think that for Paris the BPA have been like really forthcoming and stuff like that I'm saying this is an opportunity we don't want to miss being so close how can we make it as accessible as possible and an enjoyable experience for you and your carer yeah um i remember you saying to me after rio that it was more normal to be out in the arena or in the around the stadium yeah because everybody was in a wheelchair we yeah. don't think about that because we only meet people occasionally mm-hmm. in a wheelchair but you know this girl has the best sense of humor you ever came across well she's wicked i know that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> she spoke at our um evening oh no it was luncheon one day yeah. and the mc said to her um i'm going to employ you next time as a comedian and she said <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, I can't do stand-up. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. And the problem was that he then 
he wasn't sure if I was being sarcastic or serious because I had such a deadpan face about it. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, that is one of my favourite lines. I know, uh, she's wonderful. Just, just before we, we move on, you've talked about what it's like to come into that environment. Mm-hmm. What's it then like to come out of that environment? Because like listening to things that you've told me, Mary, it's unlike listening to things about other Olympians. It's like that Olympic village is like its own little kind of weird and wonderful bubble and world. Mm-hmm. And everyone gets yanked out of that and goes back to working in the gym as you were back to Belfast or back to their jobs or whatever. What was that like for you with that extra layer of, oh, now I'm going back to a world where not everything is thought of again? It's an interesting concept. So when we came back from Japan, if I use Japan and the COVID times as um, a good example, when we came back, we... Um, we got bussed. We we landed into Heathrow, and I'd I'd driven from Belfast. Got the Belfast Liverpool ferry, um, and um, we. I need a straw anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me move it back. I was just sitting there, and I was like, I don't know if that's close enough, but you need yeah, a straw. Yeah, no, I'm also going to end up wearing it if I drink it. So yeah, um, I've got a drink anyway. Don't don't panic. Look, at me. it's going all red. <laughs> It's the lights. It's the lights. Um, if you need your drink, let us know. No, it's fine. Um, we came back from Japan and we <laughs> were in Liverpool um, waiting for the ferry, just my dad and I. And when we'd been in Japan, everything was masks and um, not like, apart from in your bedroom, you had to wear a mask. <clears throat> and we came back and it was the time during COVID where most of the things had been relaxed and it was like, Dad and I remember being in Liverpool City Centre and it being like a completely different universe. And for me, being more anxious, am I going to get COVID? But at this point, it didn't. It's not that it didn't matter. It's that the competition had finished mm-hmm. and I hadn't really realised that yet, the the different utopia of that. Um, but yeah, I'm really lucky. I live in a little adapted bungalow in Larne. Um, so my accessibility needs are really met well, really well met. Um so, yeah, when we come home, um, I'm delighted to have that. But, yeah, it can be stressful. No place like home. Mm-hmm. In your home, you have a business as well? Yes. Nifty Notebooks, I think. Yes, thanks for title. the plug. <laughs> thanks for the plug. Shout out Etsy link in the bio, in the description of this episode. Click it, check it out. Yeah, so um, it was actually during COVID. Um, I like to draw, um, and my parents were like, would you just do something with this? Um and um, I actually uh, collect notebooks and pens and stationery. I'm a bit of a stationery addict, if I don't, if I do say so myself. Um, and basically, um, my parents were like, "Right, if you don't do something with this, we're going to crack up." Um, so I started my own little business, and basically, I sell notebooks and notepads and badges and pins and stickers. Um, but yeah, there's That's some botch-related stuff, but. Most of it's just drawings that I've thought of. Brilliant idea. Awesome. Really cool. She said she would have brought me a notebook if she'd realised. Well, I wanted to ask you, how do you rate Mary's notebook here, like out of 10? So you see here. I mean, it's a bit dirty. (laughs) It's well-travelled, Claire. It's used. And it is used. It's functional. Look. (laughs) I know, but like, can you read the handwriting? Like, I'm a massive handwriting person. She's I can read my own her whole life. <laughs> I know, but can you read it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Says it's, Claire it's, has an attitude problem. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I wrote at the top 
Slair Taggart GB Larn Dystonia Wow, great year. And I was surprised when I spoke to you recently that you were 28 because yeah. you certainly don't look it. I have a and, baby face. Uh, and But I've known you for a while and I've got to know you through the Mary Peters Trust and we supported you in your early yes. days. How valuable was that to you? When I was a little baby and <laughs> well I wasn't a baby, I was 18. Um, Where my mind went to there, I was like hang on a second, what? No, no. When this <laughs> little baby <laughs> when this little baby face was even younger um, I got obviously got my uh, Mary Peters Trust bursary and it actually bought me my first ever set of boccia balls before that I'd been loaning some from Disability Sport Northern Ireland wow. um, so I was able to get my first ever set thanks to the Mary Peters Trust and this lovely lady um, and the invaluable work that she does for young um, athletes both able-bodied and disabled um, who want to achieve the best in their sport. Talk to me about money in general in boccia like how's it all funded if you win a competition do you win money like oh. tell me all that sort of stuff so nosy <laughs> you came to this podcast there was going to be questions uh, no we are a tiny sport um, we are nationally national lottery funded so we're all cool. so grateful for that um, but yeah there's no money changes hands if you win a competition or anything like that um, we're so not. all the flights all the hotels it's all covered by national lottery funding um, That's class. so we're really lucky in that um, and previously before I joined the sport before it became a national lottery funded sport um, people who wanted to play internationally would have had to do a bit of fundraising and stuff like that but I'm really lucky um, and our squad is really lucky that we have um, a world-class programme with two full-time coaches um, and uh, lots of support staff, but yeah. Your programme, uh, your coach was over recently yes. and um, I didn't get to meet him, but I was inspired that he was so helpful to you and, yeah. and I met another wheelchair butcher yeah. man the other night and... You have some backup and support. How valuable is that to you in your yeah. continuing programme? Um, my coach, Glenn, is... I don't like to say it because he'll love this, but, like, he has changed my perspective of Boccia. Like, I didn't really... Like, I went through a period of not enjoying it, um, and he has a, just a totally different um, view on things. Um, and What's his name? Glen, as yes. in like the little tiny town or village yes. outside of Larne. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. He got very excited um, when he came over <laughs> once and um, he had to go and get his picture taken by the sign of Glen. Um, <laughs> That's very good. So, yeah, um, he he's obviously he's based in Coventry. That's where he lives. Um, but he'd be over at least once a month and then I'd see him at training camps and stuff like that. But he's just so dedicated and committed to not only me, but everybody else he coaches. Um, How many are there in your group? In our coaching yeah. group? Yeah. Um, he has... There's six of us, I would say. Okay. Seven, maybe. Seven. Um, but within our world-class programme squad, there's 12, 13, maybe. Um, so, yeah. You know the way you release the ball mm -hmm. down a is it a tube or what? Oh, no, that's a different classification. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry. I'm a thrower. So. Oh, you're a thrower. Okay. Yes. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. There are different classifications. And yeah. isn't there also like individual and then you can play as a team as well? Yeah. So I'm a BC2. 
So it basically means I compete in the classification um, of people who have things like cerebral palsy um, and I compete in that um, classification because my presentation and my physical disability fits in um, within that classification. Um, but you were in a different classification. Why did they change you? Uh, another nation not so far away from here uh, may have wrongly classified me. Uh, uh, Iceland. <laughs> replace one of those letters <laughs> um, and have regretted it ever since um, but yeah no um, I was in a different classification for that was it an advantage being moved or uh, I didn't know that it was an advantage I didn't, I didn't know I was in the wrong classification until I came under GB and they were like you're in the wrong place there's a reason why you're getting beat 20 nil uh, and nowhere near scoring a point um, and yeah, it kind of just changed everything. Um, you said that Lynn totally changed your perspective on botcha. Yeah. Like, totally changed my perspective on it, or like somebody listening. Okay. So in my head right now, it's bowls. Yeah. How do you make it better than bowls? Well, it already is. Um, <laughs> um, so that's a good question. Botcha is a game of nail bite intention where centimetres and millimetres is what changes a point to two to three um, the concept of the game it's probably easier if I explain it like that in bowls someone will play the jack to a set length in boccia um, the court size is a badminton court size um, so you can play that anywhere within that badminton court um, I didn't know that um, and you can then use your own advantage. So if you're better at the long shots or if you're better at the short shots, you use that to your own advantage. Um, Bocha, in, in comparison to bowls, instead of it being um, turnabout in Bocha, so it's red and blue balls and one colour... So if the red, this is so confusing, if the red person plays the jack first, yep. they will play their first ball and the blue will then play until they have either got in control of the jack, so closer than the red, or they have played out of balls. So there's no turnabout in boccia. Um, and that's why it may seem a bit confusing um, online or if you're watching it on the TV, if someone has played six balls and they're still not closer. Um, also makes it faster pace though yeah like a wee bit more intense I yeah think. yeah so our games are all timed as well so like Ooh. oh my classification um i have four minutes um individually to play six balls now that may mean going out and having a look at what's actually in front of me because my spatial awareness and a lot of people with um C cp our spatial awareness is terrible um, but yet they allow me to drive a car. <laughs> uh, and not just a car, a large van. Yeah. Um, but my spatial awareness of tiny little things uh, is um, challenging. Um, so going out to have a look at what's actually happening on the, happening on the court or coming back and having, it, having to make a decision. In our sport, one wrong shot or one wrong decision can completely change um, an end and therefore whether you win or lose um, and that's what I think I love about it it's like I often compare it to chess because I, you're often thinking at least two, two moves, moves ahead mm -hmm. 
of what you're actually doing in that um, moment. And I think that that's the nail-biting element of it that um, I just love and that everybody across the world loves. So how many four minutes happen? So there's four ends individually. and um, I'll have four minutes and my opponent um, will have four minutes um, to make their decisions and play the balls. But that's in my classification. In every other classification, it changes the amount of time. So my boyfriend, Scott, who was previously a BC3, he's just retired. He used a ramp and a head pointer and his dad was his assistant. So his dad would his back would face the court but all the instructions would come from scott because scott can't lift his hand can't move pretty much at all um and he would instruct his dad where to move the ramp where to put the head pointer which ball to use um and stuff like that but his dad never turns around to see what's actually happening so it's all from Scott. So if Scott's roaring and he's happy about a shot, his dad has no idea. <laughs> um, until you watch it back, for example, if it's being live streamed and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, the, the different classifications is, uh, I guess, sometimes hard for people to like understand, but they've made some really good infographics and stuff online. So how many groups of classifications are there so there's four um, okay. on a Paralympic level so there's BC ones um, so who are also throwers um, they have cerebral palsy or, or like me but uh, BC ones have an assistant because they need um, more help with preparing the ball or throwing the ball BC twos like me um, we don't have an assistant on court with us um, and um, we can just throw the ball BC3s use a ramp um, and then release it using a hand or a head pointer. Um, and BC4s, um, those guys are people with like muscular dystrophy or um, spinal cord injury. Um, so there's a vast breadth of people mm-hmm. who can play our sport. Yeah, so uh, that's really, really, really helpful. And you shared a lot of the tactical side. Like, I'm going to go back. Like, how did Glyn energize you about the sport like what was it about the sport that really took a hold of you because there's a difference between me getting into chess over mm-hmm. lockdown after watching queen's gambit did and, you yes <laughs> obsessively <laughs> and then deciding do you know what actually i'm gonna make this like a major part of my life so did i did yeah oh wow and do you play chess now i play every tuesday night with my friend nathan that's the height of it Oh, okay. <laughs> he also plays like whenever some days against me and all that, and of course he goes a little bit lighter uh, because once again this man completely sweated out. <laughs> I cannot tell you like uh, how much he sweated it out and everything, but yeah, basically, yeah. He's just sad because I've been. I used to play with my brother when so. I was wee. Um, Did you play chess? Uh, yeah. I need to get you in someday. We can do a wee bit of chess. Oh, I haven't played for a long, long time. That's okay. Maybe 50, 60, so I 70 can't, I, years. I can't do a shot put, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I did love it because it was always a challenge. Yeah. You know, and uh, he was bigger than me and older than me, so I always wanted to beat him. So I, could I actually beat him shared on the chess. Your, sorry for hijacking your interview here. Oh, no, that's <laughs> fine. I actually shared your anecdote with somebody on the show the other day. Oh. Um, we were interviewing a woman called Bernadette Haggins. And she's class. I know her. Do you know her? She worked for the football. Yeah. 
Uh, she lost her leg to cancer, didn't she? Yeah, she's got one leg. You've got to meet this woman. She's incredible. She's totally oh. up your street. But she's r super competitive. And when I was interviewing her and asking her about her family and stuff, and she told me that she had brothers, and I said, wait to hear Mary Peter's theory <laughs> about brothers. And she was like, that makes total sense. Yeah. Need to make that connection. Anyway. I have no siblings, so uh, I know nothing about brothers. <laughs> what, what, what was it about the sport that grabbed you? Um, so Glenn is actually only my coach of... 18 months, two years now. So mm -hmm. I've previously, I've just changed coaches. Um, and I guess the thing that grabbed me about this sport um, was seeing it at an international level. Mm -hmm. um, and previously when I'd seen it within Northern Ireland and at a grassroots level, there would have been um, maybe a metre or 50 centimetres between shots. Whereas at the international level, you they have feeler gauges out. Things are so tight. Um, and like regard and I think the thing that actually grabbed me about this sport was that regardless of your disability like you could be able to move one finger but you would still rid you've got, <laughs> you, you've got two minutes you better hurry up <laughs> apologies that was my uh, I think like wake my little girl up from her nap alarm from the weekend <laughs> um the precision they've got these readers out yeah so they've got feeler gauges and stuff if balls are touching on top of each other and stuff like that and the thing that actually grabbed me about this sport when i saw it at an international level was that if you can move one finger or you can just move your head you can play at the highest level possible like there is nothing stopping you from being a Paralympic champion, regardless of your lack of movement or your. If you're like someone with cerebral palsy who has too much movement, there is nothing stopping you within this sport. But you have to be in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yes. You have to be a wheelchair user yeah. Um, yeah. to play this sport at the highest level, um, and that doesn't mean that that ne not necessarily does that mean that you can't play boccia. It just means that you can't play it at the Paralympic level. Some sports, and, uh, and it disappoints me, put able-bodied people in wheelchairs to make mm. up a team. Is that possible in Boccia? Not at no. the international level. No. no. Um, so I think Boccia at a grassroots level is really important for people who have perhaps a learning disability. Um, and I think it's a really good team building and enjoyable social um, thing but I think that there is an important distinct distinction between those who have a severe physical disability and compete at Paralympics compared to the grassroots level of it and I think it's really important that there is that um, I think mainstream attitudes about people who have a physical disability um, are changing and I think it's really important to mention that um, like uh, I'll give you one example of a her not horrific story, but whenever I was first diagnosed and the first social worker who came out to the house um, and she said, um, Claire, have you thought about what day centre you'd like to go to? <laughs> and my mum, who is a lovely woman, but she doesn't mince her words, uh, a little bit like me. It's all becoming clear. Uh, <laughs> she didn't say anything. She just got up, she tut it, and she went and had a cigarette in the kitchen. <laughs> and I, I said, no, I wouldn't be attending a day centre. Um, those are wonderful places for people who need them, um, but that I would either be going to uni or I would be going back to college to finish my course. 
and then I would work out what I was going to do. And this woman, this social worker, couldn't understand that why I wasn't interested in that. And I think that there is sometimes, as a wheelchair user and someone with a severe physical disability, there's this idea that just because I'm a wheelchair user doesn't mean that I can't speak for myself or <laughs> that I'm not all there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm more than all there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we know. <laughs> um, I think it also speaks to... This, this happens in every single area of life. Something really difficult happens to you. And the system will almost present an option where it's like, it's okay, you can you can finish now. Yeah. You can sit down, you can retire, you can do whatever. Mm-hmm. And actually that was not the path that you chose. And I have a lot of respect for you for choosing that path. I'm such an inspiration. Dad. You're such an influencer. <laughs> no, I'm such an inspiration. And I hate that. See when people say, you're such an inspiration. But that you is not I never said but, you were an inspiration, but, let me be clear. <laughs> that is something I get a lot. You're such an inspiration. And the thing about inspiration and the thing about inspiration for disabled people is we don't want to be an inspiration for walking our dog, for going to Tesco and doing my (laughs) shop. I want to be an inspiration, if I must say it, for being an international sportswoman. Yeah. And an achiever. An achiever. But I'm inspired by your story because you didn't sit back and allow 10 years of depression to ruin your life. That's where I'm coming from. Well, not is outwardly. That, not, <laughs> but that, like, that's a very real possibility for anyone who experiences all yeah, the time. Yeah, and like, the world is not meant for disabled people. Sure. The world is not accessible for disabled people. Like, one of the biggest gripes I have at the minute, and my parents are sick, so and tired of me rhyming on about it, is that I've seen um, this company who have built a wheelchair that can climb stairs. Oh gosh. What's the point? Just build more ramps. <laughs> Make more ramps. There's no need for stairs. Like stair climbing wheelchairs. Build more ramps. Mm. The, we're not disabled by our actual disability. We're disabled by the world and the environment that we live in. Wow. You're absolutely right. That was an inspiration. Yes. That was a really <laughs> inspirational moment. Can yeah. I just tell you that? Claire. I'm about to vomit. <laughs> Get her a bucket. And actually, that was a, a bar. That was a really, really, that was a good sense. Well, go ahead. Claire, you've already been selected for Tokyo. So many international athletes are waiting for that call or that letter that'll come. Um, how comfortable does that make you feel that you know that you're going? Or you mean Paris? Well, Paris, what did I say? Tokyo. Tokyo. Sorry, I meant it's Paris. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I went to Tokyo in 1964, and, and it, it comes into my head more easily I, than Paris because I, I never competed there. But I'm just so thrilled for you that you, you can comfortably train and go to all these other competitions during the year to know that you're on your way to, to um, Paris. And I'm hoping that the world champion can be Olympic champion. Paralympic. I'm, I think of you as an Olympian. Oh, okay. I mean, I'd like to try and get that title, the Paralympic champion. But like you say, there's no guarantees of anything in life, never mind sport. Um, and you, you always need that little bit of luck on the day. But like, I don't really talk about my sporting stuff at all and the minute you start it waffling on about world champion I (laughs) start it saying shh um, I'm just a little girl well not a little girl I'm a woman from Lorne in my mind and that's all I ever want to be 
But there's so much out there for you. Look, I was a little girl from Liverpool that came to, luckily, come, came to live in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And the opportunities that my success in sport gave me are unbelievable. And I know that they're already waiting for you because you have a great brain and uh, we have talked about inspiration, but you will inspire a whole new generation of young people to follow in your... <laughs> going to say footsteps like oh, Mary, <laughs> Mary Peters how dare you and Claire my, is just so offended right yeah. in your wheelchair no she, she knew that I hesitated yeah. because I didn't know well you knew I was going to snap at you if you yeah. said footsteps so yeah. and, like, and to, to piggyback off the back of that too like uh, not every little girl from Lorne puts the work that you've put in no. either no. so don't discredit yourself either and you've had you've had support and opportunity and there are so many young people out there who have talent but don't get the opportunity or are offered the opportunity and don't take it yeah Hmm. and we we punch above our weight in northern ireland and in all sports and i know that you know that your joy in seeing lawn football club doing so well yeah was as important to you as your own success because yeah. you you're associated with it and i get so much pleasure out of seeing the success of so many of our young people who are traveling the world representing us and are the future of this country claire but the thing about it is we would be nowhere without people like you and the mary peters trust like i would never have got my first set of balls without the Mary Peters Trust and therefore I would never have gone to compete at my first GB Championships in Wigan and then been talent spotted. So, but that's why it's so important yeah, to me to make sure yeah. that so many people and don't we have so, lose like, that opportunity. I am based gym and physio at the Sports Institute and everyone knows Lady Mary Peters and everybody does media for lady mary peters <laughs> mary p <laughs> mary p as you're more commonly known but we do it because you mean so much to us and oh, you. you've supported us in our journey even in a tiny little sport like boccia um you still give me a bursary which enabled me to start this journey so it's great and it's given me great friendship because yes. i just love knowing you and I've been to the track this morning and a lady gave me a cheque for the trust for £25,000. Oh, Mary, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so wow. much. And I was in tears. She was shaking because it was a memory of her daughter who had died of a brain tumour. But she wanted, uh, because of her interest in, in netball in particular, mm-hmm. that she wanted to help yeah. some people from for the future but she didn't specify that it went to any particular sport so a few weeks ago we were able to give 82,000 out to a group of young people and you know how could you have a better day than knowing that yeah 100% going to go to Roska here Roska's going to ask the final question and then Mary would you maybe like to talk a little bit about the 200 club just at the very end oh that'd be good yeah right. so if you could go back in a time machine or you're in front of an audience of young people uh, wanting to get their life ahead of themselves, wanting to know what they want to do with their life, what kind of advice would you give? He's the big guns. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should be sitting in your Maybe chair. he's training. Someday. Someday. He won't allow you because he still wants more screen time. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we're getting a camera for you. I was chatting to somebody the other day about it. Where is it? I don't see it yet. Where is it? <laughs> Okay, so advice for young people. 
or even like advice you'd give to a younger version of yourself? Listen to your parents. Um, be kind to yourself as well as others. And I guess don't be afraid to say no to things that you don't want to do. Um, if they're not going to be something that you think are good for you or if you are presented with an opportunity and told you like this this is really important for your future or anything like that um, but you just don't feel it's right don't feel bad about saying no to things and I guess that that's like where I'm at at the minute I'm getting better at saying no to things that not necessarily that I don't want to do but things that aren't helpful for my sporting journey um, and not feeling selfish about that I guess um, and prioritising you um, I guess Great yeah, advice yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean I couldn't agree more with that because once again I personally myself like I struggle to say no to certain things like for example I'm I a didn't people say pleaser no. <laughs> 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 I, like for example I didn't say no to the Matthew whenever he offered me the job so that's <laughs> something um, but yeah these, I, I get what you mean and it is really difficult to say no to people because, like if you're generally because nice people they don't want to be you know overly nice mm. yeah. but at the same time like it's you know it's difficult to say no. It's a real sometimes. discipline, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, just make sure that you have I have to tell you, I'm still learning to say <laughs> no. I'm such a people pleaser, and it's one of the biggest detriments I have in life is that if somebody says, can you come and do this, or can you come and speak at that this thing, I hate speaking in front of people, mm. but I'll do it because I feel indebted to them, or, for example, like, um, they'll, they'll have... Uh, they'll have been kind to me at some point, and I'm thinking... I don't really like speaking in front of people, but I'll still do it. Um, um, my my parents are like my biggest um, supporters in the world, so shout out to them uh, for the person I've become today. Awesome, Mary. What's a two honour club? Oh, it's an easy way to help support Mary Peters Trust by paying. Go on, Catherine. Jump in. Five pounds a month. You came in clutch there, Catherine. The, pr <laughs> the price of a cup of coffee. That's right. Really expensive latte and from the merchant. And you have an opportunity every month to win £350. And I know people who have won three or four times. And I would just encourage anybody who likes sport to encourage. Because by helping young people develop their skills, um, they're representing us in the best possible way. Mm. But they're also developing their own skills and, and abilities. So if you haven't signed up already, we're looking for more people to sign up. Five pounds a month is for nothing. Awesome. And alongside Claire's Etsy link, we'll put a link to the 200 Club as well. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks. I've had a terrible time. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, lovely to see you thank as you, always. Thank you, you too. And lovely to share the afternoon with Claire. That's a wrap. Boom, boom. <laughs>